Let me invite your attention to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Please join me there. A little girl was in Sunday school one day and teacher asked her, well, who made you? And she said, well, God made part of me. And he said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, he made me when I was born and I just growed the rest myself. And you know, there's a lot of truth to that. We always want to give God credit and glory for all the things that we do uh, and how we are involved. But there is a human element to our growth. Uh, this whole subject reminds me of uh, the song Wayne Watson used to sing, I guess, about 40 years ago. And I've been reminded lately of uh, all the best Christian music of the 80s. And I am uh, never, uh, my family never fails to make fun of me about that. I don't know why. But uh, in any case, uh, he sang, uh, goodness, it must have been about 40 years ago, uh, the song about his own personal growth when he said, one day Jesus will call my name as the days go by. I don't want to stay the same. I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on the day that Jesus calls my name. You know, the, the thing is, is that uh, for some, they, they've given so little attention to spiritual growth that when they transition through the grave to the other side, it's going to be a big radical change because they didn't make any effort to grow. On the other hand, what Wayne was praying and what he was hoping for is that he would change and he would change throughout his life so that when he transitioned to the other side through the grave, there wouldn't be a big change. I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. Second Peter chapter 1 is about that. That's precisely what Peter's talking about. And Peter, you know, Peter needed to know something about growth, didn't he? He sure did. He needed to know something about growth. If you ever want your heart encouraged, uh, do a biographical study of Peter in the biblical text. It is remarkable what God did in that man's life and that he was raised up as the Pentecostal preacher of Acts chapter 2 or the preacher at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 uh, is one of the most shocking and surprising uh, facts of the entire Bible. How remarkable. Well, he's writing towards the end of his life in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he begins in verse number one. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and say, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you, 
always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter here engages in what I'm calling tonight spiritual mathematics. Grace and mercy be multiplied to your faith, add virtue, and on. And I want to give you five principles tonight of spiritual mathematics or spiritual growth. And the first one is the model. The model. Chapter 1, verse 1. Did you see what he said? He said, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle. Now, there are about two approaches to leadership that most people in churches are familiar with. And both of them, I think, are destructive to churches. There's one where the pastor and staff and leaders are laissez-faire and they hover in a corner. Churches told them, go sit over there and y'all hush while we take care of the serious business, okay? That's the laissez-faire approach. Most of those in ministry that do that are looking for job security. They're very insecure, don't want to rock the boat. They're emotionally needy. And uh, I've worked for a pastor like that. On the other hand, another pastor I've worked for is the dictator, and he's emotionally needy, and he's insecure, and he's looking for job security, and uh, he can lead by threat and intimidation. Neither one of these guys seeks a lot of input. Uh, neither one of these tries to collaborate with people. What you find instead with Peter is not a mix of these two. Both of these are exceedingly wicked in leadership. The dictator approach violates 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, a page over. The laissez-faire approach violates Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Shepherd the church of God, over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So both of these are enormous, grotesque violations of Scripture. Now what we don't do is we don't take these things and merge them because they're both exceedingly wicked. What we do is we trash the laissez-faire approach because that's not shepherding. And we trash the dictator approach because that's not service. And we do what Peter said in verse 1. Look, Peter, a bondservant and apostle. On one hand, I put the interest of God and his will first in my life, and I'll never, ever violate that, and I will never, ever submit to any other will and lordship besides his. I'm an apostle, and I am authorized by God, Peter says, to pursue God's will, not my own. And that's important because at the same time, he's a bond servant. That means I'm going to pour myself out for the interest, the kingdom interest, the eternal interest, the spiritual interest of the people and church. So he's both a servant and he's an authorized apostle, both of those. And that's what Peter is looking at. Now, let me say to you, and let me be quite candid with you. I have really struggled through the years to understand how these two mix. I've never been able to come up with a formula for doing that. And I taught this stuff for a number of years to, to hungry seminary students. I still can't figure out how you can do both. But you know what? God don't give a rip whether I can figure it out or not. I got to do it. I've got to be both a shepherd and a servant. 
And that's true for every pastor. That's true for every staff member. Church members have got their obligations as well. It doesn't matter if you can figure it out or not. You do what God says no matter what. And some of you have as your favorite Bible verse, a Bible verse that goes exactly to that point. Let me ask you something. Do you wait to understand what God wants you to do before you do it? Is anyone permitted to wait until they understand before they do it? Hey, if you do, may I ask you a question? Do you think that maybe there's some things God knows that you don't know? Come on. You see, the truth is, God tells us what to do, and he doesn't have to do a lot of explaining, but we sure do have to do a lot of obeying. Amen? Hey, the favorite Bible verse that some of you have is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and what? Lean not on your own understanding. So I don't, it doesn't matter to me how the shepherd and, and the proactive um, leadership element of pastoral ministry and how the servant element of ministry mix and combine. God doesn't care whether I understand it or not. He says, do it and do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe one day I'll understand, maybe one day I won't. But we do it anyway. Here's the first principle of spiritual mathematics. Embrace all that God says regardless of your understanding. And that's what we find in Peter. But there's a second thing, and that's resources. Chapter two, uh, chapter one, verses two through four includes abundant resources. In fact, he begins at the end of verse one. He says, to those who've obtained a like precious faith. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna make a startling and surprising announcement to you. There is nothing inferior about your walk with God when compared to Peter's walk with God. God, may, God has a different assignment for you. You're not an apostle. God has um, a different century in which you're living in. You're not in the first. You're not writing the New Testament. I understand that. So how you manifest your walk is different. But there is nothing inferior about your walk with God when compared to Peter's. You have a like precious faith. But then verse 2. He goes on and actually verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Do you know that everything you need to achieve life and godliness has been graciously given to you by the power of God? Nothing is held back from God. God does not budget. God does not economize. And God certainly isn't a miser when it comes to his grace for moving forward in him. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness, and you have a like precious faith. Oh, that's not all. He goes on to say in verse number four, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious or priceless promises. Exceedingly, well, that's not enough. Great, and that's not enough. And precious, and that's not enough. Promises. In other words, God has said, try me on this. Try me on this. The honor of my name is wrapped up in granting promises to you. Come and plead with me to honor the integrity of my name and my son's name and claim these promises in your walk with me. So you have exceedingly great and precious promises. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness. And you have a like precious faith. Here's the, um, here's the um, next principle. There is no permanent hindrance 
to your growth that with the power of God you cannot overcome. There is nothing but personal choice that can keep you from growing spiritually. Or to put it another way, there's no excuse not to grow spiritually at all. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness, a like precious faith, and great, exceedingly great and precious promises. Well, there's a third thing. And I want you to notice not only the model and the resources, but the nature. Look at the nature of... um, Look at the nature of growth. And uh, as we, before we look at verses 5 through 7, let me tell you about Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown was uh, out somewhere uh, practicing his archery. And he was doing some target practice. And he would pull the string of his bow and let the arrow go and hit a fence and then walk up to it and draw a bullseye around it and draw his target around it. And Lucy shows up and says, Charlie Brown, that's not how you do it. He said, I know, but if you do it my way, you never miss your target. In other words, Charlie is creating a false, a false criteria for success. Folks, that can happen when it comes to spiritual growth. Now, most people don't mean to do it. Most people don't look at the scripture at verses 5 through 7 and say, I'm going to reject that part of the word of God and I'm going to create my own standard by which to measure my spiritual growth. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. You're not doing that. But somehow or another, and I'm not exactly sure how it happens, we can get the idea that there are some things that indicate spiritual growth that really do not indicate spiritual growth. And some of these things may be shocking and they could hit close to home. And I don't, I don't mean to be rude or ugly or make you uncomfortable. Well, that's not true. But um, I, I don't mean to be um, uh, shocking at this point. But we have to understand what real growth is. We've got to understand it so that we know when we hit it and we know when we don't. Okay? Let me give you some myths about spiritual growth. There's the faithful myth. If I'm faithful, then I'm growing spiritually. If I attend consistently, if I give consistently, and if I obey the Ten Commandments and don't cause any scandal to myself, my church, my God, my family, then I am growing spiritually. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish that was true because if that was the case, just about every church attender in the nation would be spiritually mature. But it's not the case. Okay? Now, Church attendance and faithfulness can be a vehicle to growth, and you'll have to have some of that. The word used here is diligence. But it doesn't guarantee spiritual growth, and it doesn't always indicate spiritual growth. Because quite frankly, you and I have known people that have been in churches for decades who haven't changed a bit. Some of them are just as crusty, moss-back, and critical in their later days as they were in their former days. They haven't changed a bit. Some of them are no closer to being on mission for Jesus and making an impact on people. So some of them still don't have any answered prayers. Uh, so some of them still have uh, uh, lots of uh, bitterness and resentment towards other people. They haven't got past that. Uh, some of them are just rude. They, they don't filter their words at all, uh, which uh, about all of that violates verses 5 through 7. There's the faithful myth. Then there's the study course Christian book myth. That is, if I consume a lot of products from a Christian publisher, then I'm going to be spiritually mature. Well, hopefully that's a way to do it. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a big, big difference. There is a big, and listen, I know a little bit about books here, okay? There is a big, big difference between encountering an author's good ideas in a publication and encountering the living God in the Word. There's a big difference. Now, hopefully, the book will lead you to that, 
But ultimately, you've got to climb up into the lap of God and dwell there in the shelter of the Most High. That's what you've got to do. There's a big, big difference then uh, between spiritual growth and the study course and, and the book consumption. All right? So th- there is the uh, study course book myth. There happens to be the faithful myth. And uh, there are, my goodness, a, a large number of, um, of other myths that we have to be very, very careful that we don't violate. There's the conviction myth as well. And that is, if I've got some strong convictions about the moral decline of America and the solution, then I'm growing spiritually. Uh, and usually that comes with a bit too much boldness to announce one's opinion that may not necessarily be scripture. Now, quite frankly, is America in decline spiritually and morally? Oh, yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, spiritual growth does not mean necessarily that um, we have got strong convictions about that and we take a stand for it. I hope that we will, but I know some crusty, mean people who happen to do that and they're not involved in the mission of Christ. There are actually a few atheists in America and a lot of Muslims that would agree with us on that. Nearly every Muslim in America that's been here for 30 years or more would agree with us the nation is in decline because a lot of our morals are very, very similar uh, and all. So that doesn't necessarily guarantee growth. Let's look what growth is. Beginning in verse number five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Who used the word diligence in verse five and in verse 10? It reminds me of a football coach that spoke at a football banquet uh, when I was a youth minister in Texas. And uh, I happened to, um, would attend those kind of things as a youth minister. A lot of my kids were on the ball team. And I'll never forget what he said. And perhaps you've heard it more often than I have. But he said, good, better, best, never let it rest until what? Your good is better and your better is best. Well, Peter didn't quite put it that way, but he said, be diligent. Be diligent. There's an energy. There's a concentration. There's a fire. There's hunger. There's a thirst to do what's in verses 5 through 7. Giving all diligence, add. Add. Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now that's the nature of growth. The nature of growth then is to experience a character and attitude change that you might develop other character attitudes and behavior. And that's the principle of spiritual growth. That's the nature of it. And, and then there's a fourth item here, and that's urgency. It's really urgent that we, um, that we uh, happen to get after this. It's extremely important uh, because, frankly, there are a lot of people depending on us. Uh, uh, one of the original astronauts that walked on the moon was interviewed when he got back, and the journalist asked him, he said, well, what, uh, what were you thinking when you were walking on the moon? He said, well, one of the things I thought as I turned and looked at the ship that was to get us back to the earth, and I thought to myself, that thing was built by the lowest bidder. (laughs) Hey, we've got to be all that we can be and be urgent about this because there are a lot of people depending on us. Well, look what he says in verses 8 through 11. Here's why it's urgent. If these things are yours and abound, you will not be barren or unfruitful. You won't be unbarren, you you won't be barren and unfruitful. In other words, if you'll give yourself to these, to spiritual mathematics, 
You're going to make a difference in the lives of people. You will not be able to help making an impact on the lives of people. And enough of you do it in the area, they're going to start thinking that Jesus is on the ascendancy. They're going to start thinking his name is rising if you'll do enough of it. I've seen that happen in a high school. In fact, my senior year in high school, we were so loud and proud of Jesus, God began to change that place. And it became, it started to become known before we graduated as a place where Jesus' name was on the ascendancy. And that's on the West Coast. Can you imagine that? That's precisely what happened. And so um, uh, you will not be barren. You can make an impact and a difference. And then verse number nine, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. In other words, when we don't give ourselves to spiritual growth, there's something wrong with our vision. There's something that we're not seeing. We're being morally and spiritually and mentally short-sighted. We've lost view of some very important things when growing spiritually and spiritual mathematics are not the heart, fire, and passion of our lives. And look what he says. He says they become blind and short-sighted, and then he explains what that means in the next phrase. Having forgotten what? that he was cleansed from his old sins. You know, one of the ways to get your heart wrapped around spiritual mathematics, around growing spiritually, around adding what's found in verses 5 through 7, one of the ways to get a fire and passion for that is never forget how God cleansed you from sin. Never forget the price that was paid to get you to the point where you could be clean before God, where your sins no longer howl at you, and they can no longer stand and accuse you. Where those sins can no longer, and your guilt can no longer threaten you before the, before the presence of God. Where, where he's wiped the slate clean. In other words, you, you are deeply and intensely familiar on that happy day that fixed your choice. Before God, and you never get over it. You see, when you keep your eyes on that, you're going to have strong urgency to pursue him. Well, he goes on in verse 10. Therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Have assurance of salvation. Salvation is a call. God elects us. God chooses to save us. Uh, we, we don't choose him. He chooses us. Make sure then that God has confronted you with the gospel of Christ and saved you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sure, and here's how. Verses 5 through 7. When you start growing spiritually, the work of the Holy Spirit is present and you're showing that Christ is in your life. That's what you're showing. Now, you can know you're saved by the promise of the Word of God, but you can also know that you're saved and be certain and sure of it because of the present work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then, verse 11, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, there is such a thing as an entrance into the kingdom. One day, one day, we get to, either by death or his return, enter into his heaven, his kingdom. What Peter is saying here is, is that it is possible to enter into the kingdom after death or after his return in an abundant way. Now that means by inference that it's... Uh, possible to enter in an impoverished way. What he's talking about here is the doctrine of rewards. 
We are never saved by works, but we are rewarded according to them. And we'll give an account to Jesus Christ uh, when we stand before his judgment seat. If you want an abundant entrance, then abandon yourself to adding verses 5 through 7. That's urgency. And then, the, uh, the, um, well, the fourth principle then is spiritual mathematics are so urgent. Let's hurry up and get it done. Let's hurry up and commit ourselves to it. There, there's a fifth item here too, and that is reminder. A reminder. Um, a few years ago, Tom Rainer re- released some research stating that uh, it used to be that about 45 times a year, your faithful members would attend church. It's dropped in the last couple of years to 26 times. Your most faithful members, many of them, that used to attend 45 times are now attending 26 times. Now, a lot of our folks here at Beach Haven are here 45 times or more. There's some here 50 times, okay? But the rest of them, whereas they used to be here 45, are now here 26. And what Rainer states is, it is very possible under that scenario for a church to have more people attending in a month, but weekly attendance be down under that scenario. Lynn Sweet tweeted last week, and he does an awful lot of research on uh, church attendance in America and church growth. He said this, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, 40% of church members attended four times a month. In 2018, only 10% attended four times a month. A 37% drop in worship attendance. So you can have the exact same membership and on Sunday mornings, it looks like you've lost a third of your members. I think that's true. Because the money in American churches has been slowly going up. They're just attending fewer times. Now, Do you know why then we have verses 12 through 15 there? Folks, here at Beach Haven, I've got three congregations under one roof. Let me rephrase that. We have three congregations under one roof. We've got those who were, the first congregation is here 45 times or more a year. The second congregation is here only the first and third Sunday of the month. The third congregation is here the second and fourth Sunday of the month. They all get confused on the fifth Sunday and show up together. Big day. Three congregations. Do you understand now why I have to repeat myself so often? When I started 25 years ago, it took me four weeks to get people cranked up for a thing like Friend Day. These days it takes eight weeks. Because the first Sunday I say it, there's a bunch of people out there aren't going to hear. Hey, did you see the attendance Sunday? We had a gob of people gone. They, they were just out traveling. They were out traveling. Weren't backsliding. Weren't at Billy Bob's or Honky Tonk somewhere. They were recovering for a wild night out. They, they, they weren't. They weren't. I don't know. But uh, Chris asked me what Billy Bob's is. I don't know. Okay? Uh, but the truth is, is uh, don't ask me questions like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness it's the number two tourist attraction in Fort Worth let me just put it that way anyway um, 
Uh, but we had folks, I, I went on social media and I looked where everyone was traveling and, and they were all, and that's okay. I'm not complaining. The people that were actually out are part of that 45 and above crowd. Okay. They really are very dedicated, very committed. But ladies and gentlemen, we couldn't have sat at everybody everywhere. Now I think Peter may have had the same challenge that I do in these days. Look at verse 12. Now, I'm not making this up. It's right here in the text. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Responsible leadership will repeat some things. It will. It's your will. And here's the spiritual principle. Spiritual growth is not always learning something new. Spiritual growth is not always learning something new. Sometimes it's remembering something old. Look at verses 5 through 7. Is there anything new in verses 5 to 7 to you? To your faith, add virtue. Anything new about faith? To virtue, knowledge, anything new about virtue? Uh, to your knowledge, self-control, then perseverance, godliness, that's a God-centeredness, brotherly kindness and love. Sometimes spiritual growth is not learning something new. Sometimes it is remembering something old. How desperately important it is to keep in mind something old. For that reason, because of the old, old gospel, because death never takes a vacation, lostness is darkness, heaven is sweet, hell is real and long, Jesus saves. We're doing friend day. I really want you to get your heart wrapped around this. Scott Camp's going to be with us and Shane Wilbanks with the kids that morning and that evening. And God's going to put his hand on them and answer our prayers. I want you to go gangbusters over this. I want you to have a heart for your friends. And don't rest until you're tore up and just can't stand for them to be outside the influence of the gospel here at Beach Haven. Get your heart wrapped around it. And God's going to bless you real good. And he's going to be doing some saving of some of your friends. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the word. And we do want to pray, oh God, that you would help, help us to be captured with the vision of your forgiveness of our sins and the hope that our friends can meet the grace of God. We pray for that. And Father, we, we want to thank you that you love our friends. We thank you that you love our community.